So in essence, science censors itself. So a scientist can come out from behind the barricades of science now and again, have a little ferret around, and then scurry back in behind the barricade of science where he's safe, and he knows everything ought to be doing what it does. But when they come out and get involved with what we do, then science doesn't apply. This, this is going to throw all their ideas into yeah. a cocked hat. And they don't want the aggravation, the embarrassment to, to sort of put up with that. Hello there, I'm Graham Gardner from the British Society of Dozers. Welcome to Adventures in Dozing podcast number 21. And that statement from John Baker, the chair of our archaeology special interest group, kind of epitomises the problems we have in getting dozing more widely accepted. There are plenty of people in professional positions or working with public bodies who use dowsing, but they're too afraid to talk about it for fear of being ridiculed. Now, we'll hear more from John in just a moment, because today's episode is all about archaeological dowsing. This has been a large growth area in recent years, and our archaeology group has become one of the most active special interest groups in the society since its inception in 2004. And uh, although, as we just heard, many scientists and archaeologists still refuse to talk about these things openly, dowsing has been making inroads back into the field of archaeology, if you'll pardon the pun. Uh, Only last year, the BSD had a feature article in the National Trust magazine about the use of dowsing to find lost garden features and utilities on National Trust properties, and we regularly get asked to hold workshops and training days for National Trust staff. A couple of years ago, Paul Craddock and members of the South Coast Dowsing Group found a buried lost megalith at Knowlton Henge, and more recently in Wales, at a dig headed by the University of York. BSD member Ian Pegler visited the excavation and detected buried ditches and other archaeological features outside the large oval enclosure that were later confirmed by subsequent geophysics. Those are just two recent examples showing how dowsing can be of a great help to archaeologists, and we'll hear more in the rest of this podcast. So as we can see, dowsing has been used as a tool to aid archaeologists for many years. Uh, just the shortage of time on, on large digs, and uh, obviously the shortage of resources, both human and material, and just the sheer overwhelming size of a dig, means that it's often a highly efficient means of conducting an initial site survey, either on the ground or by using a map, before the more expensive geophysical methods are brought into play. And uh, another advantage, of course, is that a dowser can differentiate between different time periods on a site. Uh, The dowser can focus only on the time period of interest, and that's something that your ground scanning radar can't do. Now, there are some archaeologists who aren't afraid to explore the use of dowsing, and their numbers are growing all the time. And For example, we know of one UK university that teaches dowsing to master students in a module on site investigation that includes geophysical techniques. And in Russia, it's been reported that uh, geology students can only receive their degrees when they are able to demonstrate their competence in dowsing. So to see exactly how useful dowsing can be in an archaeological context, I had a chat with John Baker at last year's conference. Now, I haven't really covered archaeology too much in the podcast so far, so right. maybe you could start by giving us a, an overview of the archaeology dowsing scene. Well, it's, uh, it's going ahead in a, in a very, very efficient and fast manner now. More and more people, more and more of our dowsers are getting involved with archaeologists, uh, English, na- uh, English Heritage, uh, National Trust, um, local antiquarian societies, and they're actually responding. These people are now starting to respond in a positive way. But that's probably because uh, the quality of the dowsers that we've got now doing archaeology is much better than it was in the past. They're, they're all picking up information from each other and they go on these on these group outings and they learn from each other and you know it's just growing like topsy and the quality is really really excellent as you know John Moss is very keen on getting involved with National Trust so I'll talk about the bit that I've been involved in this year which was getting involved down in Devon with members of the National Trust in South West England where uh, John, Aaron, Bray and myself were down there. Aaron was doing the water 
and uh, I was doing a bit on archaeology because obviously National Trust buildings usually are very old. I've usually got features which are no longer evident and invariably have got wells which have been lost. So therefore it's very important for the National Trust and the gardeners, especially in the National Trust, to be aware of where these things might be. So we had a very good two days down there. And I also did Sissinghurst Castle in Kent. Uh, You've had a was, bit of a, an ongoing relationship with Sissinghurst. Yeah, I have, yes, yeah. Which, uh, which has been on the telly. Um, the actual programmes, eight programmes in the series, uh, they can tend to be a bit boring. But for anyone that's interested, I'm, I'm on episode seven. And uh, Adam Nicholson, who uh, lives at Sissinghurst, who is Vita Sackville West's grandson, uh, he's very keen on dowsing, and he was he was absolutely thrilled to bits when I turned up and did what I did because it surprised him. Um, and we're hoping that um, we can get um, a dig done in the next few months at Sissinghurst to prove hopefully, that what I've found, which should have been the old manor house, is actually there. I'm sure it is, and uh, it all made sense, and it looked really good. And although we only had about three minutes on the programme, we were lucky insofar as they filmed the layout of the building from one of the towers, so you could get an overview of it rather than a more or less a horizontal mm. foreshortened view. It looks as though, well, I also did uh, a one-day one and a half hour, two one and a half hour sessions one day for the National Trust at Sissinghurst. Now it's one of the only three talks or events that's, that the uh, National Trust did this year where they actually charge people extra. And uh, the charge to come to me for my bit for an hour and a half was 20 quid. And um, it was oversubscribed. I had 17 in the morning, which is all I wanted. 17 people in the afternoon and they turned away another 80. Wow. And some of them were so keen that although they were turned away by the National Trust at Sissinghurst, they then got on to the office at Malvern, the office at Malvern referred them to me and they still came through to me and I've still got a list of about eight or nine names and phone numbers of people who are really keen to get involved. So it looks as though I'm positive the National Trust will do that again next year. Mm. But I've also been to Item Moat in Kent, which is another National Trust property, and uh, the gardener there, who I met purely by chance, and I wasn't actually intending to go onto the National Trust property, but one thing led to another. He was very suspicious of what I was doing when I first started, because I was doing a little bit of dowsing with somebody on the on the edge of the of the moat. Um, but I found something that he'd got notes of on an aerial photograph that he didn't believe was correct and I found what he thought was just bad marks on the aerial photography actually fact did, did appear on the ground and he was so taken with that that he asked me to sort of check out another piece which I did and that's where I think we've got the, the letter E carved out in, in uh, fish ponds um, to, to commemorate the you know the Elizabeth I and all the rest of it. And this is under a, a lawn, is it? Just like under a lawn. The lawn is as flat as this and it's the size of a football pitch. Mm. So it's very, very big. Mm. So, so how, how would you take that forward? How would you um, test that? Well, I've, because I've got, um, I have got a contact at Item Moat, who's a businessman who does work um, checking out ground conditions for, for putting buildings on, on, on new land. And in fact, he's now employing me from time to time to go to new sites and douse the area that he wants to work on, subject to anything that I find or don't find. So uh, this is a commercial aspect of, of dowsing yeah. now, which now it's coming onto mainstream. And he's very keen on doing it because he can find water pipes, so he's happy with dowsing. He can find water pipes, but he wants me to do something else. So. Um, Next month, no, later, yes, next month, I'm going down to Sussex. I'm looking at two fields that he's bought, and I've got to go over these two fields, and I've got to look for any iron workings that there might have been, or anything else for that matter. Um, the lady who looks after everything there, and Adam, the, the gardener, he's the real motivator there. I'm getting back to him, 
and we're hoping to do a talk and a, and a lunch and a talk at some point so that we can have a lunch and again the National Trust charge uh, I think they charge £20 again for the lunch and the talk and then I'll take them out into the garden and I'll show them what I think we've, we've got there and then I've also been up to Peckover House at Wisbeach in Norfolk um, which is again another National Trust property but some friends of mine who live there uh, who are a member of Probus they were taken round, they mentioned me and the woman that runs that for the National Trust said could he come up and have a look at our cellars mm -hmm. and I did that recently and there was something in the cellar, there was a big, big chunk of stone in the cellar and when I was handling it uh, I got the uh, definite idea that this was ecclesiastical or religious in some way and um, she said well you could be right because she said there was supposed to have been a monastery here do you think you could find that? So you know how it goes, don't you? One thing goes on. So I went out and uh, I basically just tapped into a, to a monastery, uh, which I think is there. And she's quite keen for me to go back up there next year to have a look at that. So they're all, they're all National Trust things. Um, and from a from dowsing and archaeology point of view, They've got so many places up and down the country where, th where archaeological dowsing could be really, really useful to them that I think it's something that uh, I know John's very keen on, but the National Trust is like a great big super tanker. It's very difficult to turn. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, I know we've had a lot of uh, feedback, both positive and negative, from yes. that article we had yes. in the magazine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I imagine the National Trust are getting the same. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they yeah. did say, you know, they, they did say that these things take a while to percolate into the, the yeah. general consciousness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, when I was at Sissinghurst, I had a I had a scientist called Michael Moore, and uh, he's written a book which is called Thirteen Things That Don't Make Sense. But anyway, he came down to see me when I was marking out this building that I was going to show the people that were coming to the, the course on. And um, he, like all scientists, was rather sort of curious about it. And at first I couldn't get the dowsing rods to work for him. And then the first time they did work, he nearly freaked out, you know, mm -hmm. as people tend to do. And after about an hour with me... Uh, he was he was really into it so much so that he bought a pair of dowsing rods off me. But then we did an interview afterwards, and he put this interview into the New Scientist. Mm -hmm. And he said to me when we were having a chat afterwards, he said, "I can't possibly put in to the New Scientist uh, article what I want to put in because they'd throw it out." Sure, you see. So, in essence, science censors itself. So a scientist can come out from behind the barricades of science now and again, like this Michael Moore did, have a little ferret around, and then scurry back in behind the barricade of science where he's safe, mm. and he knows everything ought to be doing what it does. But when they come out and get involved with what we do, then it does. science doesn't apply. This, this is going to throw all their ideas into yeah. a cocked hat. And they don't want the aggravation, the embarrassment to, to sort of put up with that. So well, they'd rather also, ignore it. Well, also many of them are on salaried positions. Of course, would, you of know, course. depend on maintaining the status quo. That's so. right, yeah. And also, as this Michael said to me, he said, I mean, uh, he, he does lectures at Oxford, um, New York, wherever, all around the world. I mean, he's, he's a big noise in his field. Um, quantum mechanics it is. Mm. Uh, so he's involved in quantum mechanics. And... Uh, he said, well, I've got, a, I've got a living to earn. Yeah, yeah. He said, I can't come out. And if you read the article, it starts off all glowing, and then halfway through it turns it all on its head and says, well, it, you know, you can't really prove it, and this, that, and the other, and he, he, he covers himself. But I thought it was rather sad that um, a scientist can't say what he thinks. He doesn't have to say what he believes, but he can't even say what he thinks in case peer pressure sort yeah. of comes down on him. But he did, uh, apart from the bit in The New Scientist, he also did a bit on The New Scientist web, which was a bit longer, and he got slated. Mm. He absolutely got slated, you know? Yeah. Which is unbelievable, really. And these are people who have, don't even know what dowsing is. Yeah. But 
oh, well, it's rubbish. Yeah, well, rocks don't fall from the sky, you know. No, that's, yeah. that's not <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, found, I found him really interesting. But uh, he obviously found what I did interesting because he say he went off with some rods, and I'm sure that he's out there somewhere, you know, mm. busy ferreting away. But it was good of him to to come out and and do it. And I've got a copy of his book. In fact, we swapped copies of our books. And I've read his book, and it really is quite good. So it's 13 things that don't make sense. Nice segue into plugging your own book there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell us a bit about that. <laughs> uh, Adventures of a 21st Century Dowser. Well, all the things you shouldn't do, um, and maybe uh, won't do, but have happened to me, because I seem to have walked into all sorts of... Um, all sorts of problems since I've been dowsing, and some have been comic and some have been creepy, um, but they've all been enjoyable in their own way, and they're all part of um, they're all part of being what, you, what I call myself a jobbing dowser now, because yeah. I do a bit of everything. But um, if people want to really understand what it's like to be a jobbing dowser, then it's a book worth reading because it will show the pitfalls and the pluses of doing what we do. Yeah, I certainly found it a very entertaining read. It's, um, well, it was supposed to be entertaining, yeah, not too serious. It's the next best thing to spending a couple of hours in the pub with you. you know. <laughs> yes, and it's cheaper. And it's cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask also, uh, how do you get on with like professional archaeologists? No problem at all. No problem at all. No problem yeah. at all. I just tell them what I do, mm. and they say, "Oh, okay, or that's interesting." Um, I've never had any. I've never had any adverse comments from people. But there again, I, to a certain extent, I know a little bit about archaeology now. I don't know as much as they do, but I do know a little bit about the words and the terminology. And there's the old saying that bullshit baffles brains, <laughs> and sometimes that might come into it a little yeah. bit. But I don't really have any problems, and if I can go around and I can say, well, there seems to be something there, or we've got a line of something there, they're quite happy to take it on board. They might not necessarily accept it, but they'll take it on board as being certainly something of interest. Have you made any converts? Uh, well, I, I, I have, because um, archaeologists that I've met have asked me back. Mm. They never say... I like the idea of dowsing, or I believe in dowsing, or I want to try to douse. They always stand several paces away, if you see what I mean. Yeah. But they accept the fact that it works, they accept the fact that it can be useful to them as a tool. Well, it's a lot quicker than getting the geophys equipment. Out, and it's it? cheaper. Yeah. And it's probably better, because mm. geophys very often is a disaster. Yeah. You know? And the, um, if you're using ground radar, it's even worse, because there's the tiniest little bit of iron in the ground, whether it be a, a hobnail or a nail of any sort or a bit of ordinary iron, uh, it just throws everything completely. Mm. And, of course, you can't go down very far. Yeah. So with us, if we want to go down to a, a structure that might be six foot down, well, geophys, you've got to have a really good instrument to go down two metres. Mm. I mean, most of them will only go down a metre. Mm. So we're cheap, yeah. As well, I know a lot of um, archaeology uh, dowsers like to use uh, witnesses to help them tune into what they're looking for. Is that mm, no, no. Else? I just uh, I just start looking for whatever I'm looking for, and if it's there, mm. it's there. If it isn't, it isn't. Mm. Um, so it's, it's more a, it's just a mental um, act with you, just tuning in. Yeah, yeah, I used to I used to I used to do it, and now and again, mm. if I really want to home in on something, I might use a bit of Roman pottery if I'm looking for something Roman, for example. I might hold a little bit of Roman pottery just to just to um, sort of back up my my basic feelings about something. Yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, I don't uh, I don't worry too much. I just have a pair of rods and this thing up here. And away we go. The three and a half pounds of grey matter. Three, three and a half yeah. pounds are the, are the best thing that the universe has ever devised. Yeah. And and we've all got one. So what more could you want than that? Yeah. Great. Uh, well, I think it's time we got along to our next okay. lecture. So, right. Thanks, John. Nice That's to talk right. to you. That's very good. John Baker there. Coming up next, we'll hear two speakers from the Archaeological Special Interest Group presentation at our 2010 conference. But first, here's a look at the latest BSD news. 
Well, the dust has just about settled on our 2010 conference, and we had some very inspirational speakers this year, notably Dr. David Hamilton and Dr. Andrew Treseder, and uh, I hope we can feature some of their talks in future podcasts for you. Journalist Jeff Ward wrote an excellent news article about conference that features on several online news sites. If you search for dowsing in Google News, you should be able to find it. Uh, Jeff was particularly impressed with uh, dowser Elizabeth Brown, who uh, gave a talk uh, based about her book Dowsing, the Ultimate Guide for the 21st Century, which is selling extremely well from the BSD bookshop. It's definitely the dowsing book of our time, and I can highly recommend it. Uh, Elizabeth was in fact awarded the Bell Essie Award for her writing achievement. The Earth Energies Group is launching a new research project to investigate where the dowsing response comes from. Although a similar project was carried out in the very early days of the EEG, newer equipment is now available that is hoped will provide enhanced results. Chair Adrian Ingleton Weber and Hugo Jenks are coordinating the initial test protocol using a group of 12 people, both dowsers and non-dowsers, working with medical electronic specialist and biophysicist Giovanni Orlando, whose presentation at conference was both passionate and entertaining. The tests will measure the neurophysiological responses in the volunteers using brain and body scanning devices as they wield rods and pendulums. Hugo Jenks received a BSD Merit Award at the conference for his invention linking a dowsing rod to a laptop computer and GPS receiver so that the patterns of dowsing reactions it detects can be shown immediately on screen using Google Maps. Uh, Now, Hugo's invention, which is still in development, uh, can be a great potential boon to dowsers working in the field, particularly in archaeology, as it provides a great way to accurately record the site. So, with that uh, nice little segue, let's get back to the subject of our podcast and hear from some members of the archaeology dowsing group about their research in the last year. First up, we hear from Don Bryan about his work with the Hampshire archaeological dowsers and his investigations into Roman roads in the area. Thank you so much for uh, coming this afternoon. We've got 17 and a half minutes each to speak to you, so it's not a, a long time at all. Uh, yes, I'm an archaeologist. I, I took early time from British Telecom after 30 years and took a degree in pure archaeology at Southampton. And after I qualified, I fell into a job teaching archaeology, which I simply love. And after nine or ten years of teaching archaeology, the same students were coming back and wanting to do more. And of course, we ran out of courses. So I started thinking of something we could do to interest the students and myself in archaeology and we thought about dowsing, using dowsing in archaeology, which uh, is really a big taboo for most professional archaeologists. But we can prove now that uh, by, by doing surveys, by doing things professionally, keeping records, making plans and diagrams, the professional archaeologists are coming round slowly, albeit slowly, to accepting dowsing in archaeology. Only just recently we've done some work for Bournemouth University and their lecturer uh, suddenly changed his attitude towards dowsing when he knew I was a professional archaeologist. So we're getting there extremely slowly. So most of our members of the Hampshire Archaeological Dowsers are ex-students of mine. We've um, spent several years together. We're a great team. And uh, our project really is looking at all the missing Roman roads of Wessex. But we do a lot more than that. We use accepted archaeological methods and theories in our uh, discipline. We do desktop surveys, which you'll hear about in a moment. We set out formal grid sites and we record all our findings and we hopefully will publish all our results. These are the four elements of what makes a professional team of archaeologists. If you don't do this, you're wasting your time because nobody will take any notice of your results at all. So the desktop survey really is looking at all the material available out there in the system, including going to the Swindon at the National Monument Record and diving into aerial photography which go back to the 1920s 
And if you're trying to find one specific site, you can spend hours with a magnifying glass looking at these photographs. But essential as part of the survey. We visit local museums and we're looking at a whole series of 1860-1870 ordnance maps which show not only old roads and trackways but old buildings which, and also place names which we use in our survey. Very, very quickly I want to go through with you five case studies we've been working on in 2010. The most recent actually is August 2010. We were looking at a site uh, Gary mentioned uh, yesterday at St Cross, which is to the south of Winchester. It's a 12th century hospital and chapel founded by a man called Henri de Bois. And in the grounds of St Cross we have lots of bumps in the ground uh, and they have been surveyed several times by universities, but we surveyed it as dowsers and we recorded our, our uh, results and then we called in the Resistivity Survey to do a geophysical survey of the same place. So we surveyed it first with the rods, the L rods, we did the Resistivity, and we get some wonderful results. Now to you that might be grey and black spots, but the black you can see there is areas of high resistance, namely walls. What you do, you send signals down to the ground and you get a reading back in ohms and resistance and you can plot uh, the walls uh, of these structures quite easily. Now last year, 2009, that area is a garden wall and you don't really need dowsing rods or geophysics to see that this time of the year because the parch marks show them up to straight lines in the grass. But the, the dowsing rods and the relativity show you the wall. 2010, I was in charge of my trench on the dig as a supervisor, and I chose that spot there, which is a medieval drain. We know it's a, it's a 15th century drain, and I spent two weeks of my life digging out a drain. We thought, why? Well, the rods put exactly where the end of the drain was, and we, uh, luckily we did a full excavation, professional excavation, to locate the end of the medieval drain. That's the drain itself, the site of the end of the drain, found by dowsing. And when we excavated it, we found a drain. A bit disappointing really, because the, the red brick is not medieval, you probably realise that. And so we, we had a volunteer on site who was a potholer, and we poked him up the hole. And there he is, Stuart. Now, uh, above Stuart's head, we had the 18th century uh, brick culvert, and the green sandstone blocks up either side of Stuart are the medieval drains. So what we found is that it was an open drain until the 18th century, when they uh, put the brick cover over it to make it enclosed drain. That's uh, 24 and a half metres long, and we came to a blockage. Case number two is on my doorstep in Chandler's Ford near Winchester and when we went to the uh, library looked at the maps we, we have these uh, features marked in red they're Iron Age ditches Hilton Berry is an Iron Age name and uh, we thought we might survey the recreation ground here to the south to see if we can find the continuation of these Iron Age ditches and we marked out again using dowsing rods and the flags. The red flags either side of the blue ones represent the width of the ditch. So it's extremely wide Iron Age ditch. And the blue uh, flags represent the centre of the ditch. And of course we do use GPS and our own record sheets. And we will transfer the GPS readings to maps as and when I find out how to do it. So we use handheld GPSs. I know the accuracy is not that good, but it's good enough for us because with dowsing you can go back to the same spot and find the same place. Our third case study is our pet subject, Roman roads. 
We worked most weekends uh, in the winter, especially looking for lost Roman roads or missing Roman roads. And I do not have time today to talk about the great big gap in the New Forest where we found quite a few roads to Hamworthy and to Badbury Rings. But um, Roman roads are the easiest things to find with dowsing. This is a cross section of the Roman road and you have a ditch, a ditch and what's called the agar across here. And when you dowse, when you walk across the ditch the rods go in, they stay in to come out of the ditch, you walk onto the agar, you go across the other side of the, the ditch, they cross again and then they come out. So they're very easy to find and of course we use the GPS and our survey sheets to plot every single one. To prove this, initially we sent a team down towards the new forest, a place called Leap Beach, where on the Ordnance Survey map we know there's a Roman road marked. That um, earthwork there is a Roman road. And you can see that Roman road, there it is. Um, the girls there are crossing on the ditch, they're moving up onto the agar. As they come off the ditch, uh, the agar the other side, the rods will cross. So once you've done it once, once you know where that road is and what you, you're expecting to find, you can go anywhere in the New Forest, anywhere in England, and get the same results. It does work. Uh, down at Leap Beach itself, we know the Roman uh, pottery kilns in the New Forest were very famous. They created wonderful New Forest ware, and they were exported to Roman Gaul from a lost Roman port, a place called Leap Beach on the south coast. And on Google, you can look at for yourself, yourself, you'll see down here there's a change of sea water colours. There's a straight line, a straight line, and a straight line. And this, we think, is the um, Roman port. Unfortunately, we can't walk on water, and we have to wait for the tide to drop. And every time the tide drops, we try and do a bit more of the survey work, looking for the edge of the stonework of the Roman port. We also found the Roman road coming down from the New Forest. We've also found several Roman buildings on this little plateau before the port. That we have to go back to perhaps this winter and do some more work on. This is low tide and you can see quite clearly that rectangular area. Hopefully if we dig down in the mud we'll not just find ragworms, we'll find stonework of the port itself. Because it's between the high water and the low water we don't really need permission to dig a hole there. Except the rag bait diggers will complain if we don't give them the ragworms. And uh, really, the case number five is where we spent most of last winter and early this summer on a, a vast Roman settlement near the banks of the River Test. We've already located the Roman road coming from the west back towards Winchester, and we knew it had to cross the Test somewhere. Back in the uh, 1860s when they built the railway, they did find several Roman pits near the site of Nursling, but of course they never found any structures. Well, very, very pleased to say we have now, with dowsing rods, located structures on the surface. Our next job really is to find uh, means to dig excavations with trial pits, and, and then we, we dig one by one metre holes and see what we found. And that will then be, will be published in magazines. Now we do it professionally, we have, we have a site meeting. Uh, there I'm not directing traffic, I'm actually setting up a baseline to set up a grid and uh, the, the students there are all listening intently to me and we mark up the grid, either a 10 metre grid or a 20 metre grid so we can plot in all the details of our buildings. And this one appeared in the uh, Dowsey magazine it's the boundary ditch of a vast Roman settlement and you see there the, the white flags are the edges of this big ditch and we think it's about three to four metres deep. Uh, unfortunately because it's all gravel it doesn't show that well up on aerial photography and um, we just can't wait to get back and do some more work on this particular site.
Now being fairly professional, everything we do is recorded. And we, we are very lucky to have a, a draftsman on our team of dowsers who records every single thing we, we find and it's all done on, on proper graph paper and it's all given GPS readings so we know exactly where to go back to. So from our very early beginnings uh, as, as students of archaeology the group is now about 24 members strong and it seems to be every month we are picking up one or two new members. We don't really want the group to get much, much bigger because when you get 24 people out trying to douse a Roman road it gets a bit busy. But we've got a long-term programme and we're hoping to get permission of the University of Southampton or perhaps Bournemouth to carry out some relativity surveys on our results and then finally do an excavation because without the uh, excavation or the geophysical results no one will believe us. Thank you so much. Don Bryan there. Now, just before our next segment, let me remind you about some forthcoming BSD courses. And a couple of uh, approved courses coming up from our registered tutors. Vicky Sweetlove is doing a Dowsing for Earth Energies Understanding Geopsychic Stress two-day course on the 30th and 31st of October. And that's being held in London near Liverpool Street. And uh, on the 13th and 14th of November, Vicky Sweetlove again is doing a Dowsing for Health, Dowsing for Healthy Home, Mind and Body. And again, that's in London in Worship Street, that one. And uh, Vicky, yet again, on the 20th and 21st of November, is running an Environmental Healing Understanding Geopathic Stress course. And that's in Liverpool Street in London again. And as always, you can find more details of any of these courses on the main BSD website. And now to uh, part two of the Archaeology Dowsing Group talk. And here, veteran archaeological dowser Jim Andrews tells us how he got involved in dowsing and shares some of his investigative stories. And as you'll hear, Jim also has a fondness for Roman Britain. Back in the mid-1970s, while living in Argyll, on the Scottish west coast, Judy and I saw someone on television make a pair of angle rods out of a wire coat hanger and go dowsing. We got to work with the pliers and so discovered that we too could douse. As amateur archaeologists with experience on a number of digs, we now learned that our new rods could trace all kinds of interesting things below the ground. And we also realized what a huge amount of wasted time dowsing might have saved us. Our first important archaeological dowsing discovery came in 1976, close to the then newly excavated Temple Wood Stone Circle. That's at Kilmartin in Argyll. Idly dowsing in the adjacent woodland to the north of the upstanding circle, Judy's rods began picking out the robbed-out sockets of an earlier circle, which no one then knew about. It's nowadays covered with these cobbles because we sent a drawing of our findings to the archaeologist who had just finished work on the other one, and so we made Another discovery. Back in the 1970s, if you told a professional archaeologist you'd found a site by dowsing and he subsequently excavated it, it got written up in official journals all right, but under his name. No mention whatever of dowsing or dowsers, such oddities being considered utterly unscientific. But there you go. At least we know it was our discovery. Two decades later, we relocated to the southeastern Lake District and found ourselves in what was once fiercely won Roman frontier territory with forts all over the place. Our nearest were at Kendal and another 12 and a half miles northwest of it at Ambleside by the headwaters of Windermere. It seemed likely that the Romans would have built a road between them but nothing showed on local maps, so we set out to try and find it. Having duly mapped our results, this section shows just the southern half of the route with the Kendall Fort bottom left. 
we wrote up an article for Deep Breath, the Journal of the Cumberland and Westmoreland Antiquarian and Archaeological Society. Fortunately, more often referred to as CW. And that august body duly read how we had discovered the missing Roman root, but had found the links between the visible bits by dowsing? Well, they still insist that dowsing is not scientific, therefore cannot be accepted in a scientific journal, even though the first article was. But it seems to us that if dowsing had no scientific basis, it wouldn't work. So, um, why are we all here? The answer is, of course, simple. Dowsers discover things, as Don's talk at the beginning of this session so clearly demonstrated in his finding and mapping of forgotten roads, etc., down south. Equally, Paul's mind-boggling efforts to record all of Britain's stone circles. Judy and I eventually spent about a decade doing similar work in southeast Cumbria. So, how do we go about it? Well, I usually begin with a pendulum, map dowsing at home, to locate, for example, where traces of a Roman road are still visible on the ground. Now, I fully accept that map dowsing is an extremely weird ability, and I've not the remotest idea how it works, because really it shouldn't. I'm just very happy to find that I can do it quite successfully. Having doused the coordinates for our hopefully visible bit of Roman road, we get in the car and go there. And on parking and peering over the hedge or whatever, well, we never lose the thrill of maybe observing something like two straight parallel depressions heading merrily away across a field. We found these ones on the Roman route up the Langdale Valley, several miles west of the Ambleside Fort and going towards the Hardknot one. The Ambleside one is well down in the gap there. Archaeologists, sorry, archaeological dowsers spend a lot of time hoping for confirmation of their work because you can't just go around digging holes in people's property. The discovery of what we now call berm ditches, that's B-E-R-M, came out of this research. Roman military road building practice included clearing an area of trees and scrub on either side of the selected route in order to guard against ambushes, but we could find no record of how wide such clearances had to be. A bow shot, some said, but that's an awful distance to keep cleared on both sides of long, lonely roads through wild enemy country. What we discovered was that as well as the big drainage ditches or fossa on either side of the road or agar built up in the middle, in enemy territory they also dug narrow outer ditches, 27 foot 9 inches, that's 8.43 meters, beyond and parallel to the big roadside ditches on both sides of the route. That distance out is fixed, regardless of how wide or narrow is the particular carriageway between them. So we concluded that Roman army orders on road building how-to must have stipulated that you dig these little berm ditches, exactly six Roman packum out from the roadside ditches for me with short legs, that's twelve and a half paces. Berm ditches weren't for drainage except by default, as they appear on both the uphill and the downhill sides of such roadways. That narrow line of snow coming in on the left foreground of this minor Roman road is the berm ditch on the road's downhill side. So they seem simply to mark permanently the outer limits of the anti-ambush area. In April this year, Judy and I were invited to join two BSD members, Doreen Lee and Maureen Holroyd, to check out a road they thought might be Roman, a couple of miles south of the famous Castle Rig Stone Circle, near Keswick in Cumbria. It is indeed a previously unrecorded Roman road, and because Doreen and Maureen discovered it, we now refer to it as Reen's Road. 
And yes, it too has burned ditches. Even the mighty Fosway, or as it's known just 300 yards from where we sit, the Tetbury Road, has burn ditches exactly the same distance outside its unusually massive roadside ditches or fossa. The road itself is up behind the hedge on the left. Guess how Foss Way got its name? I mentioned Castle Rig Stone Circle. Judy and I met Paul Dorr working on some smaller circles as he just explained up there earlier this year but last year archaeologists discovered traces of a truly vast Roman camp covering several fields south of the big circle itself. It's easily massive enough to take an entire legion on the march along with its horses, baggage, provisions and everything else. This is nowadays busy farming ground and one may not enter the fields on either side of the lane but at least we were able to douse along the lane passing through it. The continuation it seems of the Reens Road further down the valley. We found clear traces of archaeology crossing this confirmed by humps in the road above where the ramparts had been. Actually we reckon there was a small double ditched Roman fort squeezed between the earlier marching camp and the stone circle. The Reens at last gained permission to douse one of the fields and between us we managed to locate and measure a bit of the almost obliterated earth banking and its now backfilled ditch close to the camp's southeastern corner here shown at the bottom right of the red outline. Only after we'd flagged out the curve of the typical playing card corner itself did I take a really close look at a tiny photocopy of the geophysical survey that Maureen fished out of her pocket. None of the field boundaries show on it, so she hadn't known exactly where we were while dowsing, but it clearly showed our corner curving round exactly as and where we'd marked it. Confirmed dowsing yet again. While on holiday this year, Judy and I spent a happy morning on Herm in the Channel Islands, visiting the little chambered grave at Roberts Cross near the North End. Originally dug out in Victorian times, the site was tidied up by Durham University's archaeological group in 2009. Dowsing around it, I was therefore surprised to detect an unmarked extra chamber, apparently beneath the tilting northwest capstone at the back of this picture. And just across the sandy track from it, under the slight hump in the foreground here, my rods began picking up outlines of another chambered grave. As this didn't appear ever to have been excavated, we sent a description to Durham University's archaeological professor and to our surprise and considerable delight received a most enthusiastic letter in reply. He and his team are visiting home even as I speak, so we hope to know eventually if they find what we found. Three weeks ago, we enjoyed a really special treat. We were permitted to douse the area surrounding the Roman fort up on the sea cliff above Maryport in Cumbria. And that's about as far northwest as you can get in England. Until recently, when the Hadrian's Wall Preservation Society managed to secure it from private ownership, the public had no access to the fort. But we happened to visit the museum in August 2009 when archaeologists were digging part of the recently discovered earlier fort under the adjoining playing field seen just over the wall in the background. We showed interest in their dig, but being us, couldn't then help offering to douse for features they told us might lie beyond the trench's perimeter. 
watching us work, the archaeologist suddenly remarked that, hmm, perhaps we might sometime try dowsing for the latter, for the later fort's bathhouse, as they hadn't managed to find it. You didn't really expect me to say no, did you? In fact, we had to wait a whole year before permission came to enter the fort site. But having already mapped out it, within minutes of our arrival on the appointed day, we located a corner of what seems indeed to be the missing bathhouse, on lumpy ground between fort and cliff top. Careful fixing by GPS, and more accurately despite a near gale blustering in off the Irish Sea, using a surveyor's tape, revealed a structure with a single apse at what had been its more sheltered western end. We retreated into the museum's project room to make a preliminary plan of our findings. Alas, Judy's eyesight is now no longer up to close work, but while I was drawing, she happened upon an enlarged photo of the newly completed geophysical survey of the very field in question. Many later structures had covered the area since Roman times, so cluttering the electronic survey with dateless splodges as to render it almost unreadable. But on closer inspection, I noticed a segment of the bathhouse's apse and other bits of its foundations. These are plain enough if you know where to look, as we by then did. Otherwise, one could well excuse even skilled archaeologists for not recognizing them amongst the crazy jumble of computerized dots and blobs. And that's the big advantage of dowsing over electronics. Humans can concentrate on one particular thing or period to the exclusion of all others. We've sent in our report and are awaiting developments, hopefully. Anyway, Don and Paul join me in hoping our brief ADG presentation has left you with some idea of the kind of things archaeological dowsers get up to and that you've enjoyed listening. Thank you. Okay, well that's all we have time for today. Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Hanley Swan, England. For more details about the Society, and to learn how we can help you get more out of your dowsing, please see our website at britishdowsers.org. Tell us your archaeological dowsing stories, ask us a question, or just say hello by sending an email to podcast at britishdowsers.org. You can also post messages on our forum, and don't forget you can now find us on Facebook. Just do a search for British Society of Dowsers. Many thanks for listening. Our thanks, as usual, to Hilary Brooks for the music, and Ian Pegler for the news sting. And we look forward to you joining us again for more Adventures in Dowsing. Mm-hmm.